Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. There's a lot of talk in the United States these days about Taiwan. The Pentagon warned in 2021 that China was possibly preparing to invade the island, and fears over war in the region have heightened in recent months, with the US moving closer to Taiwan, while China, which claims it was part of its territory, has been engaged in sabre-rattling. Taiwan has been a source of tension for China since a separate Chinese nationalist government was established there following the Chinese Civil War. Beijing has long since vowed that it will reunite the island with the mainland, preferably peacefully, but by force if necessary. Today I'm joined by an expert to discuss Taiwan's relationship with the US. On the line from Washington is a guest who's given this matter a lot of consideration. He's Michael Swain, director of the East Asia Programme at the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft. Now, last time when we discussed China, you were quite critical of the approach taken by the Trump and Biden administrations. And I expect you're going to have strong feelings about Taiwan, too. Um, Can you start by telling us why you think this relationship between the US and Taiwan has grown closer? despite the fact that the U.S. doesn't officially recognize Taiwan diplomatically? Right. Well, thanks very much, Duncan. That's an excellent question. Uh, I think that U.S. policy toward Taiwan has has been heavily influenced by the overall uh, downward curve in Sino-U.S. relations that we discuss uh, in the other podcast and the emergence uh, of these sort of worst-casing zero-sum assumptions about each other, and that plays into the Taiwan situation. I think it's also uh, a reflection, U.S. moving closer to Taiwan is a reflection of China's acquisition of more potent military capabilities of relevance to Taiwan, and also to the uh, growing political strength of an independence-oriented Taiwan political party on Taiwan and the disarray and, and, and uh, really sort of in some ways near collapse of the opposition Chinese Nationalist Party. Now, these kinds of developments have led to ever greater levels of U.S. support for Taiwan as a means of signaling U.S. resolve to Beijing that Washington will resist efforts to coerce or use force against Taiwan and also to facilitate Taiwan's support within the international community. Um, But I think this support, this U.S. growing U.S. support and China's own response to it, which is in part saber rattling, and efforts to poach Taiwan's diplomatic partners, they're really threatening to greatly undermine, uh, or if not destroy, the understanding that existed, was formed at the time of US-China normalization. And that understanding was that the US would acknowledge the Chinese position that there was one China and Taiwan was a part of it. And China would stress its desire for peaceful unification, as you said, uh, and not the use of force Um, as a top priority. So I think that is really what explains uh, the U.S. moving closer to Taiwan, but there are clear dangers here. Taiwan buys most of its weapons from the United States, and the Biden administration seems committed to including Taiwan in its grand strategy, as it calls it, with respect to China. Um, It seems to me as though there's a broad congressional support for the defense of Taiwan as part of... um, the Pacific Deterrence Initiative, I believe it's called. How many contrary voices are there out there which are challenging this approach? There's quite a few voices out there, uh, independent individuals who are not 
signing on fully to this kind of viewpoint. I think many people who understand the role of Taiwan in US-China relations are really opposed to the apparently growing US effort to regard Taiwan as a strategic asset to be kept separate from China. This concept that Taiwan is some kind of a high value strategic asset uh, is really a directly countering the one China policy that I mentioned um, that does accept the possibility of peaceful unification between China and Taiwan. Now this notion of Taiwan as a strategic asset isn't just being um, mentioned by outsiders from the government. It was recently presented in congressional testimony by a senior Defense Department official. Uh, and it's also contained in, in various ways in the draft legislation, not just the Pacific Deterrence Initiative, but the uh, US Innovation and Competition Act in the US Congress, which also refers to Taiwan as a strategic entity for the United States. So this development is, is I think, really dangerous for stability in the Western Pacific and for the security of Taiwan itself uh, in that region. Let's talk about Taiwan's key industry, semiconductors or microchips. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, that's known as TSMC, that produces about 90% of the world's advanced chips. And it's also a major investor in the United States. How do you think this influences U.S. strategy towards Taiwan and indeed towards China? My view is that Washington really should take efforts to invest more in high-tech chips. This emergence of Taiwan as a major chip manufacturer and the uncertainties about the future really should pressure the United States to invest even more in, in this area so as to diversify its supply and reduce its reliance on Taiwan. But it shouldn't be held out, this Taiwan as a chip maker, as a reason for the US to oppose future peaceful unification between the mainland and, and Taiwan. To me, the stakes involved in keeping Taiwan from becoming a source of conflict between the US and China are much higher than the stakes presented by the highly speculative, frankly, possibility that at some future unknown date, China might gain control over Taiwan's chip making. Now, if this happens peacefully, there are not many reasons to think that the PRC will prevent Taiwan from being export Taiwan's chips from being exported around the world, including to the US. But if unification happens through conflict, we'll have much more to worry about than the loss of chips in Taiwan. No, I, I agree with you there, Michael. I want to talk about the situation in the United States. Because it strikes me that one of the reasons that the US has been held in high esteem internationally, at least until recently, is that it's been a flourishing democracy at home. I believe the phrase that's used is beacon on the hill. But if the democratic system in the US is in trouble, does that mean that America is going to lose its will to stand up for other beleaguered democracies like Taiwan, which live in the shadow of authoritarian state? Well. You know, of course, we could consider or come up with all sorts of extreme scenarios in which U.S. democracy fails or shows signs of failing and Washington seeks to consolidate its domestic situation by cutting back on its overseas commitments. But in my view, I think the bigger danger here is that U.S. fear of China and other countries thinking that it has lost its will and capacity to support Taiwan will lead China to miscalculate 
and use coercion or direct force thinking the United States doesn't have the will to resist this. And it could lead the US to overreact to what China might do with the goal on the US side of disabusing China that it has lost the will and capacity. This kind of desire to, or tendency to miscalculate on the one hand and then to overreact uh, on the other as a result of a perception of American uh, decline is really, I think, what is the more dangerous kind of a, of a dynamic that we're looking at here. Let's think about the security situation in East Asia, which is tense. Isn't it better to keep the US deterrent in the region rather than to withdraw and leave the various players, including China, to battle it out? Surely that would be much more dangerous than what we've got at the moment. Oh, sure. Uh, Of course, I think under current conditions, it would be extremely bad for the US to just decide to withdraw from Asia. I mean, this could precipitate nuclear proliferation, um, the acquisition of nuclear weapons by other Asian countries. Uh, It could intensify arms racing among the Asian powers. Uh, It could just, I mean, it was just really, if it were done precipitately, if it were done in a short period of time, if we're done without adequate preparation or adequate reason, I think it would be very damaging. Um, I think it's better instead for the U.S. to move forward towards a more defensive force posture in Asia, uh, one that is not as likely to be escalatory, uh, to encourage other Asian states to increase their defense capacity if they view that as necessary, and to start building incentives to develop more cooperative security arrangements, not just exclusive ones. And the U.S. also needs to, I think, become a much more vibrant and influential economic and diplomatic presence in Asia, as we discussed in the other podcast. So, you know, I think the United States needs to remain actively engaged in Asia. It needs to really um, keep its presence there in many ways, but it needs to alter that presence in other very significant ways that can really reduce the tendency towards worst casing and security competition and increase incentives for more cooperative interactions, not just militarily or politically, but also in the economic sphere. Some very reputable observers of the Taiwan situation, such as the head of the Council on Foreign Relations, Richard Haas, Mm. have argued that this is the time for the United States to provide a de facto security guarantee to Taiwan that it would protect the island if attacked the so-called strategic clarity as opposed to strategic ambiguity. What's your view on that proposal? I'm against it. I, I really don't think that that kind of a move is going to help uh, stabilize the situation in the region. Um, it, it, is a, it is an action where we're basically declaring that Taiwan is a strategic ally and that we would come to the defense of Taiwan regardless of what the conditions might be that would provoke Chinese coercion or attack. And these kinds of actions could result from not just calculations that the Chinese take, but also calculations that the Taiwanese might make. And if the Taiwanese think that they have basically a guarantee that the US will defend them, then I think it's possible that in future uh, times, not now necessarily, but under future leaderships, Taiwan might be, might be less risk averse. It might be more willing to take the kind of risks that could in, result in conflict. None of us want that. Um, also, doing that would, would certainly be viewed by the Chinese as an abrogation of the one China position uh, by the United States. And it would just reinforce even further in China's mind 
the need to establish a more effective military deterrent against a U.S. intervention in Taiwan. Now, the Chinese already assume that the U.S. is going to intervene in a Taiwan crisis, most likely in some way. But you know what prompts that intervention, and and what kind of intervention it is, that is all still very much um, unclear and would have to be decided by the president um, in consultation with Congress if indeed the security of Taiwan were at stake. Our time is limited today, Michael, but before we finish, I want to just make one other observation. I don't think that changing tack on Taiwan is something that a US president can do arbitrarily. The Taiwan Relations Act was passed by Congress in 1979, and among other things, it places an obligation on the US to help Taiwan to maintain a sufficient self-defense capability. I know that you might take the view that the act should be adapted or even rescinded, but that sounds like a political impossibility to me, particularly in the present climate. Oh, well, I agree. I mean, I don't support rescinding the Taiwan Relations Act. I think in, in many ways it does serve a useful function in defining uh, the US support for Taiwan, but it needs to be interpreted correctly. And the limits it outlines for US-Taiwan relations need to be observed properly. Uh, the Taiwan Relations Act does not treat Taiwan as a security ally of the United States. It does not require the US to defend Taiwan militarily in the event of conflict. And it certainly is not the be all and end all of US policy towards Taiwan. US officials have started speaking of the US one China policy as consisting of the Taiwan Relations Act, which it places first, and the three communiques with China and the so-called six assurances. Now, I don't know if this placing of the Taiwan Relations Act first is, is a deliberate and consistent move on the part of the Biden administration, but I don't think it's, it's helpful because it tends to emphasize that the Taiwan Relations Act is the dominant uh, US policy document that defines US policy towards Taiwan. And it is not. It really needs to be combined with the assurances that the United States has also given to China through its communiques and through its long history of relations with China over the Taiwan issue. The US needs to include Taiwan in larger strategic talks with allies and with China regarding how to stabilize the Taiwan situation and the larger Asia competition. I think that is what's an important need for the United States rather than altering the Taiwan Relations Act per se. Michael, thank you for giving us your perspective on the issue of Taiwan and cross-straits relations. That was Michael Swain, Director of the East Asia Programme at the Quincy Institute for Responsible Statecraft a think tank in Washington. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, part of the University of London. There are details of our courses and events on our web pages, soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team.